Well, I want to ask you to pray with me as we turn our attention to the scriptures. Please pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for these children. We pray for them. We love them. We recognize them as gifts from you. We ask, Father, that you, uh, in the midst of the wonder and the awe of the Christmas season, will continue to show yourself to them, that they would come to faith in the Lord Jesus at a young age and be spared many of the difficulties of this world as a result. God, we thank you for your word and for your promises that hold true because you are faithful. We pray now that you would help us to see these promises, to feel them, and to trust them all the more. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Promises, promises, promises. A lot of people make promises. Some people keep them. But when it comes to God, he always keeps his promises. But he doesn't always keep them in the timing you think that he should. And he doesn't always keep them in the ways that you might expect. The interesting thing about God's promises is that sometimes they're kept actually in multiple ways. Sometimes they're kept in the near future and in the distant future. Or another way to say that is sometimes the promises that God makes in the Old Testament are realized in a physical sense to the people of the Old Testament. But they are also realized to those of us who comes hundreds of years after them in a more profound and even eternal way. This is certainly the case with the coming of Jesus. Another fascinating thing about God's promises is that sometimes one promise that God makes leads to a number of other promises that he makes. This is certainly the case with the promise of a Messiah to come the Messiah that we celebrate at Christmas. His coming leads us to more Christmas promises from God. And some of those promises are found in the book of Micah chapter 5. And so I want to read for you this, this evening, Micah chapter 5. You can follow along on the screen behind me. This is an Old Testament prophecy about the coming of Jesus. And in it you actually see some more promises of God. This is what it says. It says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With the rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. The rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now, he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. Israel 
is under attack and God is promising to restore her. That is the near promise. But the promise to us thousands of years later is the promise of a Messiah, a Savior, a ruler, a king. And this promise actually leads to more promises. The description that he gives clues us into the fact that he's talking about Jesus, doesn't it? Verse 2 says that he comes from one of the smallest towns among a clan, which is among the smallest tribes in Israel. He comes from Bethlehem. He's not raised up in the aristocracy. He doesn't enter the scene with great fanfare. From humble beginnings, this ruler will rise. But that does not mean that he will be unqualified. In fact, his coming forth is from old, God says, from ancient days. And his coming leads us to focus that this promised Savior brings about with him three more promises, Christmas promises from God for you. And God always delivers on his promises. Promise number one, we see in verse four, that Jesus will be our shepherd. It says, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. A shepherd is a leader of the sheep. He protects the sheep. He leads the sheep to nourishment, to food and to water. And he charts their way. It's not a surprise to you that one of the marks of our time is a radical sense of independence or self-reliance. Not everyone wants to be led. Not everyone wants a shepherd. Or so we think. Until we are brought to our limit. Until we try to keep so many balls in the air of life that some start falling to the ground because we can't possibly juggle it all. Until the sense of being overwhelmed overtakes us. Or until we get ourselves in trouble. Eventually one or many of these things happens to all of us. And there's a shepherd waiting to lead and to care and to guide. Over 150 years ago, a Scottish minister named Andrew Bonner told the story of how in the highlands of Scotland, sheep would often wander off into the rocks and get into places that they couldn't get themselves out of. The grass was sweet, their appetite was raving, and so the sheep would jump down 10 or 12 feet to these little patches on the mountainside. And then they couldn't jump back up again. And the shepherd would hear them bleeding in distress. They might be there for days, eating all the grass in their little patch until it was gone. The shepherd would wait until they were so faint that they could barely stand. And then he would tie a rope around himself, he would go over the edge, and he would lift the sheep out from the jaws of death. Why wouldn't he go down earlier and get them when they first jumped, some might say. 
But Bonner replies, they are so very foolish that they would dash right over the precipice and be killed if they did. And that is the case with men. They often won't go back to God until there's almost nothing left. No friends. Maybe they've lost everything. But if you are a wanderer, I tell you that a good shepherd will bring you back. He will bring you back the moment that you stop trying to lead yourself. (laughs) The moment you stop trying to save yourself. He will bring you back the moment that you are willing to let him lead you and to let him save you the way that he can do. He will be our shepherd in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of his name. That is a promise from God. And the promised Messiah ushers in these promises of God at Christmas. The second promise is found in verse 4 as well. It says, And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the end of the earth. The promise of security, that hits home, doesn't it? Got me thinking about all of the ways in which we often feel insecure how our fear often cripples us, and how in every single person in this room tonight, every single one of us deals with insecurity, the lack of security in some way and in some time throughout the course of this life. So common is this experience that it's almost hard to imagine a life in which we feel completely secure all the time. The Huffington Post ran an article some time ago about fear. And it featured a series of comics depicting the common fears of children alongside the corresponding or similar fears held by adults. It illustrated the following pairs. The child fears doctors. Adults fear doctor's bills. The child fears bad dreams. The adult fears unfulfilled dreams. The child fears strangers. The adult fears crippling social anxiety. The child fears clowns. The adult fears clowns. The article goes on to note that though the fears of children are often dismissed or discounted as irrational or silly by those of us who are older and wiser, their fears are not far off from our own. They're proof that no matter how old we get, we're never alone in our fears. Because after all, everyone has a fear of the unknown in some way. There will always be uncertainty about jobs, about relationships, finances, health, and any number of daily concerns that can bring even the most spirited people, even the most upbeat of you, can still bring you down. Is there a way to avoid 
this downward spiral that anxiety brings, is a world as chaotic as this one. Is that possible? I mean, you definitely can't replace certainty or replace uncertainty with certainty in a world like ours. You can, however, fight against it with hope. Hope in the promises of God. And so what are the things that threaten your sense of security? The threat of physical attack? The threat of financial ruin? The threat of your child being hurt? The threat of disease or even death? The threat of how others might perceive you? And it's not just these threats by themselves. It's the fact that we believe that any one of these threats could bring us to our total demise. But listen to the promise of God at Christmas. They shall dwell secure. And notice the reason why you can be secure. It says, because he shall be great to the ends of the earth. His, Jesus' reputation and influence will be ever-expanding. In the final analysis of things, all will recognize him for who he really is. His detractors will be no more. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And from the very beginning, we see a glimpse of the very end. And so you can be secure. To dwell secure. <laughs> what a promise. No fear of your ultimate demise. And this is a promise that has both immediate and eternal application for you. Because even though the difficulties of your life right now might feel hard, they might be incredibly painful, they might be scary, if you are found in Christ, you don't put your trust in the circumstances around you. You put your trust in the person. If you are found in Christ, you will never be undone. He will keep you. And you will be secure. That is a promise. And when it comes to the most scary of the unknowns, the glimpse at death, if you are found in Christ, then he will keep you and you will be secure. That is a promise. The promised Messiah ushers in the promises of God at Christmas. And that leads us to look at the third promise. The third promise is very plainly, he shall be our peace. Verse 5 states it that clearly. And of course, this points us to political peace and even peace between nations. It's hard to believe that that's possible, but one day it will come. But even more than that, it points us to peace with God. To go about your days with an unshakable inner peace because you know your standing before the eternal God of the universe. 
That is real peace. And of course, that points us to our need for the gospel. It points us to the very need for Christmas in the first place. Because you can't have peace with God without the forgiveness of your sins. But God provides a way through this promised Savior, Jesus. And the promised Savior ushers in all of these more promises of God at Christmas. He offers to take your sin away, to take it to the cross with him, to cleanse you from your sin, to lead you, to serve you, to give you peace. And all you have to do is ask him for it. Ask him to forgive you and trust him along the way. And he keeps forgiving. This idea of forgiveness and peace and how they're related is seen in this book of Micah beautifully near the end. The prophet says this about God. He says, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression from the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast, God, all of our sins into the depths of the sea. We can have peace with God. We can have peace in life. We can have peace for eternity through this promise. The promise that Jesus will be our peace. So three Christmas promises for you. For the insecure, he provides security. For the warring, he provides peace. For the wandering, he provides a shepherd. God meets our needs through Jesus. And so we worship him. We trust him. We follow him. Merry Christmas, everybody. The promised Messiah ushers in the promises of God for you at Christmas.